You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. You know, it's such a testament to how God works because his sermon built you guys up and got your hearts ready for what I was going to preach on tonight. And I think God, God laid these things on my heart and... It was just such a blessing to hear him preaching on very similar topics. And he, every time I've ever preached, um, it seems like God just does that. He'll do that throughout the entire week or back to back. Or I'll be studying something, getting ready for a sermon, and then Jesse starts preaching on it or Michael starts preaching on it. Or I'm listening to Adrian Rogers, and I'm like, man, that's exactly what I'm going to preach on. Like, I can't believe that. But God, he knows what your heart needs, and he, he gets you ready for it. And um, it's just such a blessing that our church, God knows what our hearts need, and, and he's prepared us for that. And it's just such a blessing. We're going to be working in Philippians, the next book over, in chapter 2. We're going to read verses 13 and 16. And the title of my message is, is Being Confident in Our Suffering. Because we can be confident through our sufferings. Verse 13 it says. For it is God which worketh in you. Both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. That ye may, ye may be blameless and harmless. The sons of God without rebuke. In the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. Among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Holding forth the word of life. That I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Lord, thank you so much for what you've already done tonight. And I just thank you for laying this on my heart and, and preparing us all for this message. And Lord, I pray that you help me to really convey what it is you've written and inspired in this word. And I pray that you help us to, to realize the power of this truth and, and to live it in our daily lives. Because, Lord, we know that this is something that we deal with on a constant basis. And, and having a reliance on you is so important. And, Lord, I just thank you for calling me to preach. And, and even though I'm completely unworthy and, and I'm not able within myself, Lord, you've given me the ability to, to be confident in, in your power and in your word, Lord, and I pray that you help me to completely get out of the way and, and you work through me and your spirit moves through this congregation tonight. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Verse 13, it says, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. What that's saying is God works in us to desire the things that he desires and to do that which pleases him. The verb worketh, it means energizes, and it means provides enablement. He is the one that gives us the ability. He's the one that, that moves through us and gives us the energy and the desires to do the things that please him. And he empowers us to do those things. And though as Christians, you know, we're called to do God's work, we're not able to do that alone. We're only able to do that because he gives us the power to do it, and he works in us. And gives us that ability. Amen. And God is at work on, in us constantly. There are two major things that Paul was emphasizing here in verse 13. 
when he said, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. The first one is, even though we, may, we make our own choices, which we are held responsible for, God is sovereignly in control. He uses our choices to ultimately fulfill his plan. So whether we, we realize it or not, he's still going to use us. But number two, God works in us to change our desires to meet his will. So as we, as we continue to read the word and, and, and to learn more about him and we spend time in prayer, he's changing our, our very desires, our will, to be more like his will. And, and that's a powerful thing. Galatians 5.22 and 23 shows us everything that the fruit of the Spirit is doing. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. It's joy, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Because the Spirit, if we're saved, if you're saved, the Spirit being in you, because the Spirit is in us, it's working not just through us, but with us. And the Spirit yields these things. It yields love. It yields joy. It brings us joy to have the Spirit in us. And it gives us peace. It helps us to be long-suffering. And it gives us gentleness for those that are angry and, and hot-tempered. It, it brings us down. It calms us down. It gives us goodness. And it gives us the ability to have faith. And it gives us meekness as well and temperance. And because of those things, because the Spirit works in us, verse 14 it says, do all things without murmurings and disputings. That's not easy as a young Christian. Because it is so easy for us to instantly get frustrated and to start arguing. Just like Jesse was saying. You start getting bogged down by one little thing. And it can seem super minor to somebody else, but it, it just becomes this huge deal to us. And then... The next person you see, you're like, I'm ready. Just come at me. Just whoever, whoever it is, I don't care. I'm just ready to fight. You know, that, that, I've been there a million times, and I'm thankful that God's helped me to, to have more of a gentle attitude and to seek him when I start to feel that way because he gives me that peace. But we need to continually do everything. Everything. Do. The word do means it's a present tense. It means it's constant. It's not past tense. It's right now. Right. We need to do all things without murmurings and disputings, without complaining and arguing. Amen. When we complain, it creates a division, not just within ourselves, but within the body, within the marriages, within our friendships, within our families. It's like a virus, and it not only destroys us from within, but it spreads to the others around us. Right. It infects everybody around us. Paul was addressing the church at Philippi, but we have the same issue in our culture today. It's a constant problem. I deal with this at work all the time. I listen to people all day long complain and complain and complain. And then the next thing you know, it's somebody else is complaining about the exact same thing because maybe they were thinking that. But now they have an excuse to go ahead and verbalize it and, per and perpetuate that issue. And it's not, it's not lifting anybody up. It's not making the problem go away. You know, there's a way to approach a situation when, when maybe it's not fair, but have a solution instead. Instead of just complaining about it and having a bad attitude because that's just going to make everything worse. And Satan 
loves that. He wants to divide the church. He wants to divide our marriages. He wants to divide our relationship with our kids or our friends. He doesn't want us to be the body. He wants us to be separated. Just like Pastor Jesse said. And when I think of complaining, and I'm sure you guys all do too, I think of the children of Israel coming out of Egypt. What a great and unfortunate example of how quickly people can forget the blessings around them and instantly get upset about one little thing when it's nothing compared to what God's already done. God did miracle after miracle for them, and all they did was complain and murmur. We're thirsty. We're hungry. Our feet hurt. Who put Moses in charge of us? Like, why? We don't want him. We want somebody else. And are we at the promised land yet? Like, why do we have to be in, in the desert for 40 years? This isn't fair. Let's just go back to Egypt where it was easier for us. But it's, it's sad because so quickly they had forgotten God's miraculous deliverance from Pharaoh and Egypt and the world. But why? Why would God's chosen people forget so quickly and begin to grumble and to murmur and complain about their situation? The answer is faithlessness. Faithlessness and having a heart that says, I know better than God. And if only he could understand that I've got a better plan. I, you know, I don't need to sit here and deal with this situation. I don't need people accusing me of these things. I don't need people, you know, making my life miserable. I'm just going to quit my job and I'm going to move on. But maybe God wants you there. Maybe he's got a bigger purpose and a bigger plan. And as we read this, the story of the Israelites, it's so easy for us to, to think, wow, come on, children of Israel. Like, how could you possibly think that way? Look at what he's done for you. How can you, how can you complain about God? He kept the sun from shining. He defeated Pharaoh. He parted the Red Sea and then consumed all of the Egyptian army that was following them in, in the blink of an eye. And you don't think he's going to feed you? You're hungry and you don't think he's going to feed you, but he can do all these amazing things. But what happens when you lose your job or someone in your family gets sick or somebody passes away that you loved or any number of disappointing things that are going to happen in your life? What is your, for, your first reaction? Is it, praise God, my sins have been taken away and have been put at the foot of the cross and have been, I have been given eternal life? Or is it complaining and murmuring? In Exodus, the Israelites complained every step of the way. And so many times God was graceful and he blessed them anyway. But in the book of Numbers, finally, God wiped out 14,700 people because of them murmuring. Simply because they were just not grateful. But the thing is, is God's heart is never changing. God still feels continuously the same way now as he did then about people complaining and feeling just like everything that we're going through is unfair. Paul said in Colossians 1.24, Who now rejoice in my sufferings? Paul saw the things he was going through, and he had all the reasons in the world to complain. But he saw what he was going through as a calling from Jesus himself. He knew that what he was going through was was glorifying God. And he was setting an example for not just the churches of that time, but for all eternity 
he was setting an example of what it looked like to be faithful in suffering. And it's not, you know, that example is not just that the world sees us be faithful in, in, in our rejoicing and our suffering, but they see Jesus because of it. They look at us and they're like, what is different? How could, like, they have all the reason in the world to want to quit that job. How can they possibly stay? When I worked at the plant, I thought that all the time. I just, it was one of the hardest jobs I've ever had to endure. Because everybody was accusing me of things I wasn't doing. I was, being, I was getting written up all the time. I was about to lose my job so many times, but I knew I wouldn't because that's where God wanted me to be. I was remaining faithful in the midst of that. And I'm not trying to glorify myself in this, but I'm just saying God wants to use those situations. And people asked me all the time, like, how are you still here? <laughs> Why? I'm like, well, this is where Jesus wants me to be. I'm going to be here until he says otherwise. And it, it's just, you see that time and time again in the Bible. God will use the trials that you're going through to, to not only glorify himself, but to reveal to the world who don't know him who he is. And as you guys already know, today is my anniversary. Veronica and I have been married nine years. And he's... Thank you. I'm surprised too. As many of you know, God brought me... He brought me through a lot before I, ever, I even met Veronica. You guys know my backstory. My mom left when I was a toddler. I had an abusive father. And in the midst of that, God reached out and saved me. He took me out of that. Which, I still can't believe it. You know, like, it was hard. And so many times until I was saved, I wanted to kill myself. I was just angry. I'm like, how can you put me through this? Like, why? It was just, it was so hard. But then God had brought me this amazing woman into my life. Hey. Although, even though he brought me her, I was still ungrateful. Yeah. I didn't understand what he brought me. I had a complaining heart, and I put this gift from God through so many trials. And she didn't deserve it. But I'm thankful because she's still here. <laughs> like, it's just a blessing. And, Amen. you know, just one year after we got married, God blessed us again because we were about to become parents. And I definitely wasn't ready, but excitingly and anxiously, I awaited the birth of Jaren. And we had everything planned and prepared. We knew exactly how the birthing was going to go. We knew... We knew everything that, that we had, we, everything we could think of. You know, we had it all lined up, his room, everything. But something still wasn't right. Veronica, we went to the hospital, and, and the doctors, like, Veronica couldn't feel any movement. And she didn't understand why. She, she just felt like something was wrong. So we went, and we got checked, and, and they, they found the heartbeat, so there was relief there. But something was still not quite right, and it didn't look like he was capable of breathing on his own. And at that stage, he should have been able to. So they decided that we needed to have an emergency C-section, and Jaron came out 11 minutes later. It was just, it was intense. Like, it was so unexpected. It was not what we planned. And when he came out, my world shattered. 
because the doctor said, I think your baby has Down syndrome. And three excruciatingly painful days later, the test came back. I didn't want to believe it until then, but it confirmed trisomy 21 Down syndrome. And I was like, you know what, God? It figures that you would do this to me. Because bad things always happen to me. That was my first reaction. Why, God? Why would you put me through this? Haven't you put me through enough already? It was not my plan. It wasn't our plan to have a kid like that. We wanted to have a son like Ezra. Somebody that could, you could play with and, and do sports and see them grow and go to college and be successful. And I just, my reaction was just anger because I was already unsure if I was ready to have a, a son. And I was, I'm pretty sure I wasn't ready. And then Jaron had special needs on top of it. I was upset. I was like a lot of the children in Israel. I could think of so many times that I was angry at God for things. Because he put me through a lot in my life. And I failed to remember all the miraculous things that he had already done in my life up to that point. I forgot it, just like the Israelites. And I did not have the faith that he was in control of that situation. How is it that we can make God out to be so small and incapable of handling these, these things in our life when he proves time and time and time again, not only through the Bible, but in our own lives, that he will see us through it? Yes. It's so easy to complain when bad things happen. The story of Joseph is a great example of someone who could have used million, re, millions of reasons he suffered to complain to God about it. But instead, he trusted God. His brothers sold him into slavery. He didn't do that in my life. <laughs> like, how could I possibly compare or have the right to complain? But he didn't. He was falsely accused and put into prison because he wouldn't, he wouldn't succumb to the temptations. He was left in prison for years because he was overlooked. But he had confidence in the sufferings he was going through, that God would see him through it. And God had a plan, and God was going to use it for something. God wants us to remember what we read in Philippians 2, 13 and 14. For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure, and to do all things without murmurings and disputings. But why is it important to do all things without murmurings? Because in verse 15 and 16, he says that ye may be blameless and harmless. We already are blameless and harmless. But we are to remain that way and to be the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world. So that way we, we can remain blameless and pure because as born again believers, we already are that. And we need to remain that way so the world will know that we are the sons of God. And they will not be able to rebuke us or accuse us because we live according to God's calling and we can be a light to them in the world. 
Matthew 5, 15 through 16, it says, Neither do man light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it, gives, it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Amen. Joseph was a light in the darkness of Egypt. And because he was faithful and confident in God's promises, we can look to him now, to God now, to give us hope in our own lives. Verse 16, it says, holding forth the word of life, bringing forth the gospel is what he's saying there. That I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. It will all be worth it in the end. We don't want to run for nothing. We should run for the prize and for what God is calling us for. And it will not be for nothing. Philippians 1, 6 says, Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. You could be confident that God has began a work in you. The moment you're saved, he's begun something. He saved you. And if you're not saved, because nobody can possibly know your relationship with God and your hearts tonight, other than you and God, if you're not saved, then you, you need to get saved tonight because he has a plan for you. And he will complete that plan in you. When Jaron was born, I had a negative attitude, but through prayer and with time, God has changed my attitude. I've realized that God not only was never going to leave me or forsake me, but that promise applied to Jaron as well. Yeah. I had a different kind of confidence because I knew that God was never going to leave him or forsake him, and God has fulfilled that promise. Yeah. Jaron has never needed or wanted. He wants more pizza. <laughs> and maybe I can't provide that, but God has. Eight years later, and I still don't think I have the complete answer for why Jaron has Down syndrome. But I do know this. His Down syndrome is part of God's plan. He knew he, who he was putting him in, who, what family he was putting him into. He knew already before we did. And we may never know why some things happen to us. Why we lose loved ones. Why we lose a job. Why we get bullied. Why we just can never seem to get successful like other people do so easily. But Romans 8.28 says, We know all that all things worketh together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. Brockai, if you want to come and sing. We know that everything that we go through, God is bigger than that thing. Yes, we know that he's going to use our situation to glorify him and to help us to get stronger because he will sustain us, he will energize us, and he will give us the ability to desire the things that are within his will and we will be a light to the world. Amen.